Welcome, fans of the Justice League universe. My name is Sam. And I'm Alessandro Maniscalco. And we are bringing you a special episode. This is going to be our Man of Steel commentary episode. So we, uh, we realize we haven't been giving as much love to Man of Steel as we have for Batman v Superman, and we've even been starting our episodes on Suicide Squad. But of course, the movie that kicked off the whole Justice League universe and this DC Films uh, experiment that's a very successful experiment to this point was Man of Steel from Zack Snyder and David Goyer. So um, if you have Man of Steel, go ahead and queue it up on your menu or uh, pull it up on your digital movie player. Um, we're going to try to sync up so that you can follow along with this commentary. So get that ready. Um, but in the meantime, I'll just say that it was no slight to Man of Steel that I didn't start by covering Man of Steel. It was just that I didn't even have the idea to do the podcast yet until Batman v Superman. I basically saw Batman v Superman twice the opening weekend and was having so many conversations about it and feeling like I just needed to process it and think through it. And then I just realized you know what, I'm going to just process it out loud to the world through a podcast and kind of go through the movie and make sense of it and try to get those connections down. So Batman v Superman just inspired me to start it up. And then pretty early on, I realized that I need some help doing that. So that's where Alessandro came in to help me bring a new perspective, get some more insights onto the film. So I appreciate you coming on for that BVS perspective, Alessandro. Well, I'm glad you started with Batman v Superman when you did, because I really love the movie and I really enjoyed your work. So Anything I could do to contribute, I was happy to. Yeah. Now, we do love, we both appreciate Man of Steel, so we want to do this commentary. So what we're going to do is talk through the movie. So if you have it queued up, you can go ahead and hit play, and you'll get the disclaimers and stuff first. But what you'll see is the Warner Brothers logo will come up, and then pause the movie right when the Warner Brothers logo is blocked from view. There will be a black thing from the left that sweeps through, and right when it covers up the Warner Brothers logo, push pause. And keep it paused there till we'll all start it together. Um, and that's right at about 12 seconds. So you should have it paused there. Um, so yeah, we're going to have Man of Steel. So what was your mindset going into Man of Steel, Alessandro? Uh, you know, I was really excited about it. When I had seen uh, Superman Returns, you know, I was excited about that. And I had loved it when I walked out of the theater. And then as time passed on, I realized that it wasn't as good as I had hoped. So mm -hmm. I, I really had a lot of hopes for Man of Steel. And I will be quite honest with you, I hated it the first time. <laughs> and mm -hmm. <laughs> even the second time, it took three watchings before I actually fell in love with it. Wow. Yeah, for me, I I was kind of similar where I liked Superman Returns okay. I like wasn't against it or anything, but it did feel me... Leave, I, I felt like something more could be done with Superman. Um, and so... Coming into this, I was a moderate Zack Snyder fan, but I wasn't like a huge Zack Snyder fan. I didn't like eat up everything that he did. So I just came in with like moderate expectations. And on my first viewing, I liked it pretty well. On my second viewing of Man of Steel, that's when I really started to just realize like, whoa, this was doing a lot more than I initially realized. And once I sort of got on the same page with it, I really appreciated it. So let's get started with the movie. So if you have it paused right at 12 seconds when the WB logo is blocked, let's all hit play together. So we'll do three, two, one, play. So let's do three, two, one, play. So here we go into Man of Steel. And I love the uh, opening logo here where they kind of, I like it when a movie makes the logo part of the world of the movie or you feel like you're already in the movie. And Warner Brothers does that well, like with Harry Potter, and they do it here with the cool metallic finish and stuff. And it, I like how you could see sort of like the, the etching of the costume in the logos. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
for me, I just like it how they use it to set a tone rather than just something generic. And I like how we're kind of moving through it in space, but I don't quite know where I am. And then very soon we're going to realize it's kind of a Kryptonian feel through these whole title sequences. So coming up to uh, the title sequences, it seemed like the Kryptonian scenes were some of the most uh, like praised scenes in the movie. Uh, we've got the birth. But it seemed like even people that didn't like Man of Steel overall, or they said it ruined Superman or whatever, it seemed like they still were pretty happy with the Kryptonian scenes. It's interesting because these Kryptonian scenes are the most sci-fi that we've seen these Superman movies get, I think, with the world mm -hmm. that they present. Yeah, it seemed like a really, a complete, they thought through the culture, the language, the environment, the technology, like they developed all of that for this opening sequence. So they're starting with an obvious birth. So, yeah, uh, so you know when I see this scene, I, I, I wonder if they were trying to go for like a baby Jesus birth sort of thing. Yeah, and the, I mean, I think it might make some people uncomfortable to have actually labor and a you know a live birth coming out, but it's very significant for the story. It has the Jesus connotations. Um, we see the world now, but to me, the whatever you put at the opening of a movie. It's giving you some clues about the sort of mindset you should have through the movie. So here we can look at the kind of life of Clark or the life of what's going to be Superman. This is the birth of Superman in this movie. Um, and it contrasts with other movies like BVS. It starts with, um, you know, Bruce and his psychological mindset. And that's going to be important through the whole movie. In Suicide Squad, they start by saying, here's some cool characters. You're going to get to know them and kind of hang out with them for a while. Man of Steel says, here's a birth. We're going to follow this character and his emergence into the world, what ends up being his world, you know, onto Earth, because we're going to obviously see what happens to Krypton. See, now Council. in this scene, they address what exactly is the problem that they're drawing energy from the core. And I got the impression that the reason they had to was because of, you know, the, the way they were breeding, using up a lot of energy, which was a result of the overpopulation, as they mentioned. Yeah, um, and I, I liked, this was one thing I really appreciated about the movie, too, was taking on a present concern about, you know, consumption and natural resources. Um, and so they're taking Krypton and they're saying, like, the filmmakers, I think, are making a commentary on our society that, like, this could be our future if we basically just keep drilling into our planet and carving it up to get out the resources that we want for our lifestyle. And I know Zack Snyder, like those head, head pieces that are like so extravagant and high and sort of just uh, full of themselves, the chairs and the head pieces and stuff. <laughs> and the filmmaker said that was to represent that this society had kind of overgrown itself and gotten sort of too, uh, too up on its cloud and like too into its um, like cultural bureaucracies and, you know, its way of, you know, the committees and debating it or whatever, like Zod says. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but I just wanted to set, point out that in this scene, Jor-El actually asks Zod, you know, who's going to choose who lives and who dies, basically, which is, mm -hmm. I think, very foreshadowing of Batman v Superman, where Lex says that Superman decides who lives and who dies. So I, I definitely right. see a connection there. Yeah, and he, so he also, I, I'm not sure, <laughs> sorry, I was listening to you, and 
I'm not sure if I missed it yet, but he does call him a monster, which is ironic because Zod, uh, Lex uses uh, yeah. Zod to create the monster Doomsday. Right, right. Yeah, I think the way that Man of Steel and BVS work together is amazing. I'm still appreciating it more and more, how these two movies really weave into each other. Um, we get the cool Kryptonian technology. Now here we get the kind of master shot of like, oh, let's see this world and see the chaos that's raining down. So this is Zod's like insurgents. But Zod in his insurgency, he's also trying to save the world. Um, right. So it's really this kind of question of whose form of serving the of saving the world is right. Like Jor-El wants to save it in one way and Zod wants to save it in another way. I think it's interesting also that we see a destruction of a city at the beginning of the movie and at the end of the movie. Right. Yeah, and, I, and there's the thesis on Man of Steel from YouTube talks about at the beginning of the movie, it's the birth of Kal-El, and at the end of the movie, it's the birth of Superman, and that Superman isn't really born until that last moment when he actually has to take the place and make the decision as Superman to kill Zod. Right. Um, so I, de I think definitely... This isn't just a Kryptonian intro. It actually does connect all the way through to the themes that they're going to be developing. And here is the Kellex scene where Kellex warns Jor-El about uh, the Codex and how it's against the, the law. And we've already established in our, our uh, podcast episodes that that's more of a warning than anything mm -hmm. and that he can just disregard it. Yeah. Now, for the critics of the movie, notice what it looks like to have an active Genesis chamber like this, so that when you see the scout ship later, you realize that is an inactive Genesis chamber, because some right. people said later that the scout ship, that like a bunch of fetuses were killed, and it's like, no, right. <laughs> this one has fetuses in it, little infants, the other one does not. But, alright, so there it is. Now, presumably, this uh, skull belonged to another Kryptonian who had the codex inserted in him, similar to how Kal-El gets it inserted into him. Oh, nice. So coming out of the water like this also reminds me of BVS. Like, it seems like a similar shot to when Clark retrieves the spear, and it like he puts his hand out of the water, throws mm. the spear out. I think, I think there are definitely some parallels between Jor-El and then Superman in BVS. Now, like their ships are very... Their ships are pretty interesting, they're, how they're shaped like uh, dragonflies. I, I have to wonder if that's, like, done on purpose as, like, a functional thing rather than uh, an aesthetic thing, because you'd think such an advanced hmm. race would focus more on function than form. Hmm. I thought it was cool how they had all the technology based more on kind of insects. Right rather than like uh, s straight lines and right angles like we're kind of used to. They do more of the curves and following things like arachnids or bugs or stuff would have. Yeah, and, and it's possible that they did that purposely to sort of emulate the attributes that those creatures have. You can see the destroyed kind of planet or moon or something off in the distance. And then I like how you can see the land is just all carved up, like it's all been harvested, all the minerals and everything out of the ground. Sad moment with the animal there dying. All right, so now we're back. So uh, so she actually gets some pretty important stuff here at the beginning. It's kind of easy to overlook her, but she makes some crucial 
decisions and plays a crucial part in the beginning of sending Kal El off and stuff. This helps to establish that whole motherly bond uh, that comes up a lot in later in this movie and in Batman v Superman. How the love of a mother for their child and vice versa is the strongest love yeah. there is. So, um, Lara is saying he'll be an outcast and Jor-El is saying he'll be a god to them. That's something we can follow through the whole movie. Like, which is it going to be or is it going to be both? And that goes into BVS as well. Is he, he's still both kind of through both movies that some people see him as a freak that doesn't belong here and others see him as a god-like figure that they kind of want to worship or emulate. And the both parents, they set it up here right in the beginning. And Jor-El has mentioned many times about hope and how, and he's just said how Kal-El is their, their only hope. And it's interesting how the Superman symbol on their planet actually means hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that they took that idea from I, Birthright was where I read that first, I think. I think that's a great idea, and they ran with it here. Yeah, I think they may have touched on that in Smallville also. Yeah, I need to catch up on my Smallville still. <laughs> um, so Jor-El's idea for saving Krypton is to have a natural birth, to sort of go back to a more organic way uh, of life, because he thinks maybe the artificial kind of ways of life are what doomed Krypton. And then he's thinking we can have Krypton sort of join with humankind, and that can be the future for Krypton. And that's going to be, I think this whole movie in, in some ways is Jor-El's idea against Zod's idea. And Zod's idea is basically forget humankind, forget everybody else, just save Krypton, restore Krypton, recreate the old Krypton. So here, when I first watched it, I thought I did think that the codex was in that command key. Yeah, me too. But if you now now that I know what it actually is and you see it, it you, there is clearly like a beam that's kind of hitting the baby as well. So they kind of set it up as a little bit of a misdirect yeah, and this whole command key thing seems to have confused a lot of people, including myself. Uh, and it seems like that command key is really what gives someone command of, you know, whatever tech Kryptonian technology they're trying to take command of. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of how, I guess, Lex in Batman v Superman is able to take control of that ship. And as we see later in this movie, how Zod takes over uh, the scout ship that was on Earth. So there was a snap zoom on those ships that were approaching, and that was definitely one of the trademarks of this movie was the snap zoom. It, it kind of gives some energy and some excitement to flying, like when Superman's flying or the action's happening. It makes it seem like it's really happening and that there's a cameraman who's like, whoa, I need to catch what's happening, and he snap zooms in on it. Um, so I like that as a sort of a visual touchstone of this movie. I think the battle armor is interesting, and I almost wonder if they're going to use that in Justice League when... Superman comes back, sort of how in the in the comic, when he comes back, he's sort of weak. Yeah, I'm not sure. Like, because here they need the battle armor because they're not super-powered on Krypton. Exactly. Right. And so the it's, it's kind of funny then because Superman's suit is actually underwear. So when people were <laughs> complaining that Superman doesn't have his underwear, it actually literally is underwear. <laughs> <laughs> so Zod's back to retrieve the codex because he wants to use it to just have the genetic information to rebuild the kind of the old traditional Krypton. 
Oh, here's the line about the bloodlines. And now he said they've had a child, a boy child. <laughs> that line is kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's this is another theme. So if we're keeping track of themes, like w one is the organic, and this is Man of Steel answers helped me to think about these. But another one is the you know free choice. And how does free choice play into this versus like determination? Like in Krypton society, your role is determined for you. And I think they follow through that pretty well. Like I think we're going to see Clark having to make some important choices. And it's really his choice to make. And I like it too where his Earth parents don't make the choice for him. They don't tell him what the right thing to do is. It's really Clark has to make choices at right. key point points in time. And so sort of we didn't mention before. He sort Go of ahead. goes out and sees what's in the world in order to help them make that choice. Yeah. So one thing I liked about this opening sequence overall is I definitely liked all the culture and the world that they built, but they also gave Jarrell some action. Like he had the sort of getaway, and now here he had a little bit of that fight. Um, and it reminded me of the Superman the animated series, because in that one, the opening episode, Jorel also gets like a little action sequence. Right. That was a great show. So here, Lara has the big decision to make. Think about that. Like, that's your only child you just had, and you're sending it away. Man. There he goes. Music is great here. And here's the spike. <laughs> there it is. Very, very uh, foreshadowing of Doomsday's spike later. Yep, like father, like son, huh? Yeah. The music cuts out. And interestingly so we'll see enough, that if... they both die trying to save their world. Yep. That was a really good fall down, by the way. I just want to say, like, he falls down, his head, like, bangs against, like, I don't know how they did that so good. <laughs> All right, so now... So it's, you know, Zod's got a couple things going on. So he has this anger against Jor-El, but, and he's going to transfer that anger onto Jor-El's son, but he also literally wants the Codex. So there's, you know, more than one reason that Zod is going to kind of go crazy over Kal-El. And it is also, this is like Zod failing at his mission in life. And then at the very end of the movie, we'll see that again, he failed at his, like, his reason for living is to protect Krypton. So here he's almost failing at it, and then by the end of the movie he has failed at it. But like I said, Zod isn't wrong. Like, there's the snap zoom again. Right, technically but he's doing Zod's what he was right born for. Krypton needs saving, so at least he's trying. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there's the scar. Right. I like how the light kind of takes over where his head was. Like, he lowers his head, and the light is right there where his head was. That's a great shot, too, with the sun. Yeah, they definitely focus on that reddish sun. Mm-hmm. So this, to me, reminds me of Superman the movie, and then I guess it's also in Superman 2, where they have him, and they're going to send him off to the Phantom right, Zone. Right, right. One thing I like, so not to bash, like, the original Superman movies, but in Superman the movie... They had a Krypton opening. First of all, they didn't have as full of a culture. They just sort of had a visual gimmick. 
Um, this one, they have like a fully developed world and culture and everything. But the other thing I like about Man of Steel is they do this Krypton setup, and then everything about this Krypton setup plays into the rest of the plot of the movie. So we see what Jor-El and Zod are doing, and Zod comes back, and we see what the purpose of Clark is. You know, he's organic, he's natural, he's also about free choice. Um, so to me, this first act of the movie, or just the Krypton sequence, it it colors the whole rest of the movie. Where in Superman the movie, I feel like it's just separate. Like, you get the start on Krypton, then you get young Superman, then you get like the Superman stuff to the end. This one, I think it's all woven together from start now, to noticed, finish. I noticed that they have a sort of icy effect. That might be a callback to the original movie also. Yeah, it, it could be a little nod to it. Although the shape of those ships still bug me. <laughs> yeah. So now the thesis on Man of Steel might say that that was on purpose because this is like Krypton is the male and Earth is the female Mother Earth. And ah. together they birth this son or child of Superman, so that might have been on purpose to make it very masculine, phallic looking. But that's very interesting. If if somebody's not thinking to that level of depth to it, they're, they're just going to think that's an awkward shape for a pod. <laughs> now, the the Phantom Zone in this is very interesting. It seems to take a lot of energy, whereas in other mm -hmm. Superman stories. You know, something like a handheld projector has been known to open oh, right. the Phantom Zone. Yeah, or in the original movie, it's like it's like a piece of glass that seems like it just exists. It doesn't need a whole bunch of energy to run it or anything. And that plays into the Phantom Drives and stuff. Like, it does seem to be an energy issue. And Before we leave like, the... Go it ahead. Seems like, it seems like anything that is exposed to Phantom energy also... Uh, you know, I had read online about someone mentioning how at the end of the movie, everything's getting pulled into the Phantom Zone that is contaminated mm -hmm. with Phantom Energy. So right. It seems like anything exposed to that Phantom Zone has, is contaminated. Right. Yeah, I know Man of Steel Answers um, has talked about that a little bit. And if you love Man of Steel, Man of Steel Answers has some great episodes he didn't get to make it through the whole movie, but he made it pretty far into it, and he has some great insights into it. This, to me, was a heartbreaking scene, right? Like, her world is dying, her son has left, her husband was killed right in front of her. Like, and now, oh, man, great shot, but heartbreaking. But it puts a human touch on the destruction of Krypton to have her staring it right down. So another thing before we leave this Krypton stuff that I wanted to say was some people were disappointed that the movie didn't open up with John Williams' Superman theme. But I love the new music, and I think that the new music was needed because to me, John Williams' Superman theme is based on the newsroom. It's like a news theme. Uh, it has that kind of rhythm and stuff of like news from the 1960s and 70s and stuff. And that doesn't fit this movie, because Clark only starts working at the Daily Planet in the very last scene. This is an extraterrestrial sci-fi movie uh, that goes to like the heart of Clark and stuff. But mainly it's it starts off as this alien first contact story. So I think you needed a more alien new score. And I think Hans Zimmer did that great. It has kind of this otherworldly feel in the Krypton scenes um, with these sounds coming in and, and these kind of tribal rhythms, which to me match the sort of environment of Krypton. So I, I love the new score. I like John Williams' score, but I think it works for that movie. I don't think it works for this movie. We had a nice transition there where 
just as the ship was about to crash land, we see the, the boat crash into the water. Yeah, a really good match cut on there. This is great, too. So we see Clark, and he's able to get pushed over. So like Man of Steel Answers says, the filmmakers are giving us clues to what Superman's power levels are in this movie. He's not immovable. He can be pushed over by a regular person. Well, so he's a little bit power, powered down from some other stories. Presumably, he has to be conscious of using his powers. I mean, he still has... I imagine the same weight as a normal person uh, as far mm -hmm. as the density of his body you know they don't really go into that so it's possible structurally you know he's still able to be moved like a normal human unless he exerts that force right so now we we see definitely the strength we see the imperviousness to fire but he can't fly, right? Because if he could fly, he would have flown over to this oil rig. He wouldn't have swam over. So if you're watching closely and if you're not assuming Superman's powers and you're taking what the filmmakers give you, you know that he's powered down. You know that he can't fly yet. He's still working on his power levels. But I still think but this yeah. is a great, a great scene to showcase him as a superhuman. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, the fire rolling off him now here. This is going to be great. Um, but first of all, it's like him without without hesitation, he came to save these guys. So it's like in his heart and just naturally he wants to save people and help. And I don't know how people missed that from this movie. But this is great. Yeah. I mean, look at just think of the physical forces here, the fire burning, the steel bending. I also like that it's physically real. Like, even though he's strong enough to hold that barrier, the thing that he's standing on is not strong enough to hold it. And there it goes down, but he bought him enough time to get out of there. But yeah, there's there's some Superman stuff, like in the cartoons and other movies, where Superman will grab something with his hand and like lift it up. And I'm like, even though Superman is strong enough to lift it with one hand that object does not have the structural integrity to be able to take it. Right. <laughs> but here, here they did a better job. They actually thought about the physics. First flashback. So I like how the flashbacks weren't just random. There was a connection now, for them, this, something that, something that scene, triggered them to happen. This scene where uh, you know he feels his powers are out of control, I mean, obviously it's been touched on, but... The way this scene was done in particular, I, I feel like it's from a comic. I just can't remember which one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure. It definitely, but, like, uh, there's something very familiar about it. I mean, obviously I've seen the movie before, but even the first time I saw it. Mm-hmm. I like it too how they, it's the sensory overload like it's not just I'm seeing things that I haven't seen before but also the sounds like so he's got the super hearing and the super sight but to me so the thing that when I really started to love this movie was I started to keep track of imagine Clark Kent is an alien and he's he doesn't know he's an alien but he is an alien and he's he's checking out the human race and like human nature so what has he seen so far here he's seen somebody who's in trouble and in pain and people are irritated, people are mad, people are making fun of that person. That's part of human nature that we do that. 
rather than being compassionate or empathizing, some people do think, man, that's annoying. Boy, that kid's weird. I'm going to tease him, make fun of him. Even the yeah. teacher seems kind of annoyed that it's, you know, it's troubling her lesson that she had to be going through. So I think like for Clark, if you put yourself in Clark's position, this whole movie is um, kind of judging the human race. Like, are they worth saving? Should I side myself with them? Should I become one of them? Um, are they worth it? And in a lot of cases, you know, humankind is not perfect. But then he has things like this, like the embrace of a mother, like the love of his mom who's comforting him. That gives him a little glimmer of something to love about the human race. And I think earlier, so the, the guys on the ship, it was the same thing. Like he's, he's a new greenhorn on the ship and they're giving him a hard time and they're pushing him around and yelling at him. So like there's a lot of stuff in here that doesn't show human race in a very good light, but I think it's very realistic. That scene also reinforces that whole mother, uh, mother-child love. Absolutely. So here's a clothesline, which foreshadows the very end of the movie when we see him near a clothesline with the cape on. Now, so, from here, we see him go and work at a, a bar. And uh, I, I should point out that in uh, the Superman Earth 1 comics, it starts out with Clark going off and doing all sorts of different jobs in it and experiencing the world just like this movie shows. Yeah. Oh, I think definitely Earth 1 Volume 1 is, is in this a lot. Some people had problems with him taking the clothes. It didn't even cross my <laughs> mind until I heard people complaining about it. I mean, what was he, if he goes and asks them for the clothes and then they see the news that there was this oil rig and a mysterious person that saved him, they put two and two together and he's, his cover is blown. I mean, it's, I think it's worth it for a few pleat pieces of clothes to not open up this whole can of worms for the you know, civilization overall. Did it bother you when he took those clothes? You know, I was about to comment on that before you said anything, but I mean, when it comes <laughs> down to it, you know, how, like, how severe is your sense of morality going to have to be to criticize it? Yeah. And I think it's sort of people that think Superman has to be perfect rather than, like, morality is not that black and white. Like, sometimes right. taking a piece of clothing is actually okay if there's a bigger thing at play. So he sees the school bus that trigger, triggers the school bus memory. Um, so again, if you're, if you're keeping tabs on how humanity is doing in Clark's eyes, we see him getting bullied on the school bus. Not great, but it looks like he maybe has a little bit of a friendship with Lana. So maybe now, a little bit of good, a little bit of bad. In the comics, Pete Ross and Lana actually have a thing. I believe they even get married at one point. But they don't really go anywhere near that in this. Yeah. I think this is filmed well. Like I definitely I felt the water coming in. Um, you can feel that sense of claustrophobia and then can feel the excitement and the music comes back in with the Superman theme as he's pushing it out. I think it's a well-done scene. And it's kind of an homage to uh, the old Superman movie, too, where there was that bus on the bridge as well. So she sees him. So he's thinking, oh, all right, well, I'm still going to go. So here, again, he has the natural instinct to save people. And he even goes and saves the guy that was just bullying him. So, mm -hmm. like, he's seen that humanity has some flaws, but they're still worth saving. And that's well, kind of the story of this whole movie, I think. Well, he saves Lex from Doomsday. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, so he, yeah, Superman saves people. It's just what he does. I think he is contemplating, like, he thinks about it, he takes it seriously, and then he saves people. An um, act so, of God. Yeah, another, so there's the relief on to God, yeah. Yeah, and then Jonathan is very relieved, like, oh, okay, she thinks it's a religious thing, <laughs> a miracle. <laughs> so his son's off the hook. So, all right, we're coming up to the big moment that we have to talk about. Um, so, Jonathan, I like the jacket. Great setting here. A little bit of the sun coming in on the left and the sitting on the truck. You can feel the farm. So he wanted to help. Yeah. So they've talked about it before. So what have they talked about? So they've talked about that it's a big deal re revealing the secret. Now... Okay, here's the moment. Let him die. Pause. Tough thing. Maybe. See, look right at his there. body language. Right there, he had it coming. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, if you watch the body language of Jonathan Kent, he pauses, he thinks about it, he, he moves his hands, his body language is saying, like, this is a tough thing. Maybe he's saying... It's not always clear-cut what you have to do. You have to balance complicated things. You have to balance your secret, what that's going to mean for the world, for a short-term issue that's right in front of you. And he, a lot of people took the maybe as Jonathan saying, yes, you should have let them die. But he didn't say yes. He said maybe. He's just saying the world is complicated. It's going to be hard. Yep. And we definitely and see Clark, all of that in Batman v Superman. Yeah. Clark as a young little boy is saying, tell me, like, tell me the answer. Like he wants to know if what he did was right or is wrong. And that's a very kind of like immature view of morality. Like somebody tell me what to do or something should be clearly right or clearly wrong. And Jonathan is a much more mature morality saying things are complicated. <laughs> There's not always a clear answer of what to do. Um, and to me, the whole thing here that they've talked about is you have to wait till the time is right Till you're old enough to take on the responsibility of revealing yourself. That's the other misinterpretation of the Kents, is people say, the Kents were telling him to keep himself a secret and to not be himself. No, they were saying, if you're a young child who, if you see him, is still not mature yet, that's, that child is not ready to have all the weight of being a superhuman alien in this world. So, for me, that's that's the distinction. They're not telling him to not be himself. They're just saying, wait for the right moment, because when you reveal yourself, that's going to change everything for you and for the world. Sure, Yeah, you're the answer to this question of are we alone. I mean, he didn't really have a choice. He had to save those kids. As far as whether he could have done it differently, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt like Kevin Costner just had a good performance through the whole movie. I felt I felt like he had a real fatherly love and bond. I felt like he the emotions were hitting him. The delivery of his lines were to me very heartfelt, realistic. Yeah, he certainly did a good job. Yeah, great line here. Like this one gets me choked up when I'm watching this, you know, that you are my son. Like all of the Kent parental moments with Clark are seeping with love. They love their son. They want to protect him. They don't tell. They don't give him this simplistic advice of you know do the right thing, 
be a good person, uh, which is just kind of simplistic and doesn't really mean anything. Right. They're just, they just show love for their son. I love you. I'm with you. It's hard. It's complicated. We're going to get through it. I will always love you. So now we're back to real time. Next job. So there's a smile. See, he smiles. <laughs> um, so if, if people haven't seen it yet, I would recommend Man of Steel Answers on his YouTube channel. He shows how this whole scene is a tribute to Action Comics number one, like beat for beat. It's pretty cool. Well, this is obviously where he hears about the uh, ship in the Arctic. Yep, so that's already leading him to where his next little journey is going to go. So Clark's staying calm, but yeah. Oh, so now if you're keeping a scorecard for humanity, you know, there's a little bit of a positive thing with the girl, but now another big bully jerk. So again, like Clark has lots of reason to kind of think that humanity is pretty flawed and mean. <laughs> yeah. He, he, the way he, his eyes pierced him, that, that guy, it was almost like, What's wrong with you, humanity? And now even like he's walk he's like, I can't even walk away from this. <laughs> You're going <laughs> to throw a can at me. It's like, really? Really? <laughs> I think that's when he decides to wreck the truck was when the can got thrown. I now, think otherwise he would have walked away. What bothers me is when people say that, you know, he, he uh, destroyed this man's means of livelihood living. Yeah. I mean, we don't even know if he owns that. He could be that could be the the trucking company's uh, yeah, tractor. could be insured. It's probably insured, right? And it's and and the thing too is like you know Clark did overreact to it, but you know what? He overreacted. He didn't kill anybody. Like in that situation, he didn't beat up the guy. He just hurt his truck. the The audience when I watched Man of Steel like on opening weekend, the audience laughed pretty uproariously at that truck when it when it cut to the truck so the audience i was with took it in stride so we just saw we just saw clark's and uh, lois's first meeting yep <laughs> and it was at a helicopter which yes, is kind exactly. of fitting I like let's say that a lot a lot of stories have them meeting with the helicopter they're heavy bags that's funny <laughs> like he's just handling them like nothing and she's like careful they're heavy so we know here from we get we can pick up that Lois, she's a field reporter. Like she goes out into the field into dangerous situations. That's where she gets her stories. Now my one, so I love Man of Steel. I give it like a nine out of ten. The to to get it closer to a ten out of ten, there are like four or five lines that I would just rewrite the lines, and some of them are Lois's <laughs> around here. I think the one of them's coming up. So there's a few lines that I would rewrite, but single lines are so minor. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't ruin the whole movie for me to have a few lines of weird dialogue or cringeworthy dialogue. Although I do like how, uh, you know, upfront Lois is in these scenes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She shows that she she doesn't take any, you know, any BS. Yep. And she's probably learned that she has to do that. She has to really assert herself because she goes into these dangerous situations that are kind of a man's world and she's like i need to assert myself or they're going to try to push me aside like a second class citizen 
So now we're getting some of the backstory here about, you know, the ship has been there for tens of thousands of years. So it was way in the past that Krypton was doing their exploration. But yeah, so Clark, you know, was here to investigate because he had heard about it, like you mentioned. See, and, and this is also good because they sort of subtly blend Clark into these scenes as if to show, you know, you might not even realize he's there. So he can have a secret identity. Right. Yeah, he tries to just kind of be a background character, blend in. But yeah. cinemato- cinematically, like, the cinematography of it, they do a really good job of sort of, you know, just dropping him in, like, where's Waldo? Yeah. Now, some criticisms that are silly, like, so some people say he couldn't have gotten a job there with the military without having a background check and them knowing his identity. But I don't think he's working for the military. I think he's just an independent contractor to just do some odd jobs around. You know, I don't oh, think absolutely. he actually got hired. Hi- absolutely. Yeah. So it's a whole different screening process for that. And then... Uh, for her, she's basically like, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to poke around if I want to. And that's just her prerogative to be doing that. That's how she gets her stories, I think, is she sometimes bends the rules or sometimes steps where she's not supposed to. So here we see his powers have... He's got some sort of heat vision. Pretty cool effect there. Yeah, and it's pretty impressive how precise he is with it. And it hurts him, though, a little bit, so it's not just like nothing. You know, you had right. to kind of rub it. Um, so there's the ship. So this will be important for this whole movie and the next movie. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I like how the music brings back some of the Kryptonian sounds because now they're coming into some Kryptonian technology. So for him, this is a big moment, right? Like he's he's been sort of wandering and has felt like he hasn't really had a place and now he's sort of like, am I finding something important? feels like See, it. See, uh, at this point, he's a stranger to the ship, so he's a threat. It's not until he actually enters the command key that the ship acknowledges him and he has full command. Right, right. Yeah, and but for him, this must be an exciting moment, right? Like, he had that smile on his face, like, I'm actually figuring out this thing that I've had. It fits right in the slot. But he only has a moment of happiness and then he's attacked. Rips it off. But how does he know yep, so that no. pushing that in is going to stop it? I think it's just he figured I might as well try and hope for the best. Yeah, no, I don't think he knew that it would, but he figured it was worth a shot. So now we get Lois coming over the edge just like Jarrell did with the codex. So the command key must have been, you know, a retaining that information about Jarrell. Because yep. it's also yep. used I think he, on he, Zuck's he was the programming. Yeah. Yeah. He was a program in the command key is how I took it. And so now he w- he was installed. So like you said, it allowed um, Clark to take the control of the ship, but I think it also uploaded the Jor-El consciousness program. Right. Right. And now Lois makes her way in too. But yeah, so Lois does not have command of the ship, so she's going to be a different story here. So the prequel comic, if people haven't read it yet, you should find it online and check it out. 
Um, it explains these pods and, and the ship. Uh, it's basically the prequel comic is way back in time. And Kara, or Kara, has this team that goes on the ship and there's an open pod. I still wonder if they're going to connect to that open pod in any of the future Justice League Universe movies. That would be cool. And that had quite some force. Man, even Kryptonian technology hates paparazzi. (laughs) (laughs) So So this is Clark saving Lois twice in a row. Yep. First with the the robot and uh, and then with the internal to, bleeding. Right. Yeah, you're right. And to me, uh, that's a nice, like, understanding look. Like, I'm not here to hurt you. I'm going to try to help. She makes that eye contact, and that's the start of their connection together. And he talks to her calmly, handles the situation well. So he's saving her twice here. And for me... It's part of the Superman mythos and Superman stories that he's going to save Lois. Um, but to me, there's differences in, in why he has to save Lois. So here, Lois was following like the biggest story in the history of the world. <laughs> and she was the journalist that was right in there on the story. And because she's doing that, she ended up in harm's way and then he saved her. And it's the same thing in other parts in this movie and then in BVS. Like, she doesn't get saved because she's silly and clumsy and just falls into a river like, you know, a crazy person. She gets saved because she is doing a dangerous job and because she's kind of fearless and brave. But sometimes that gets her in trouble and she has to be saved. Like, so to me, that's very different. Somebody doing something impressive that is dangerous and getting saved is different than somebody just screaming and being silly and having to get saved. Well, what's interesting is we just saw the scene where he saves the kids on the bus and, you know, he's putting his identity in jeopardy, and here he's doing it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, this part of the movie, we're only 10, 15 minutes in of the Earth part, and all he has done is saved people. Saved off the oil rig, saved off the bus, saved Lois. Um, I mean, that's his instinct. He saves people. Eighteen thousand years. Yeah, and so now it's actually a Canadian helicopter here that's going to come in. So Clark took off. He let Lois down somewhere where she could be found, and then he went off on his own. I mean, to me, it all makes sense. So his background info was falsified. So he did have credentials, but they were they were fake. Right. So Lois has a an extraterrestrial story, but Perry... So this is the intro of Perry. <laughs> I love the interactions between Perry and Lois in this movie and BVS. Definitely. They play off each other very well. So there's respect here, but they're having an honest debate about something, you know, but they respect each other as professionals. But that doesn't mean they always agree. So Perry's not buying it yet. And which makes sense, right? It's It's a huge story like nothing else so you're gonna need rock solid evidence before he's gonna publish it so she leaks it and he comes back in bvs too right like he's part of the media montage but he he's rose in prominence by the time we get to bvs 
and this is interesting too, she knows there's more to the story. She wants to get the story of Superman or of Clark, not just the story of the Kryptonian ship. A nice polar bear. I think that polar bear is an homage to the Superman Lives movie that never was made. Um, but J John Peters, the producer, said that he really wanted polar bears in it. <laughs> Guiding presence authenticated. So that must be Jor, Jor-El. So now we're going to get, yeah, now it's the full meeting. Oh, so he was, maybe he was uploaded, but he wasn't authenticated yet. And now he's authenticated. Right. So, you know, for me, I, I like to take the movie, take what it gives me. So for me, I just accept that this is a Jor-El program that's able to interact with him like this. I don't try to overthink it um, to say, like, how is his image being created and all that stuff? How is he able to see and then react to Clark and stuff? I just basically say, like, he has a program that's able to do this, so go with it. Well, it is kind of funny when you consider how realistic he looks here, but then their communication systems on Krypton were like, you know, needles. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, like they use the geotech or whatever, yeah. liquid geo, like that liquid geo. Right, right, exactly. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, like why do they use that if they can make such an awesome image like Russell Crowe? <laughs> yeah, but see now That's this is... That's a good is, question. Here is a... a prime example of the Kryptonian technology creating imagery and mm -hmm. in Batman v Superman in the communion scene when you see Steppenwolf it looks just like this right which gives more uh, you know the idea that it's not communication necessarily more of the mm -hmm. information that the ship is presenting yeah and I think Lex maybe sent out a signal to Apocalypse but he was not actually having a phone call with Steppenwolf he might have been learning about Steppenwolf and then sending out a signal separately. So I like this way, though, of, of t doing the narration, right? Because so it's not just him talking. It's actually we get the visuals to go along with it. Yeah. I think it's a cool, cool way to do it. Exhausted our natural resources. Yep. So that you know, a lot of this stuff was alluded to in the Kryptonian scenes, but now this is like making it more explicit to make sure everybody's on the same page about what those issues were and stuff, and how Zod is obviously going to come back and be important. So this is a little homage to the Superman the movie having that spindly ship because the actual ship oh, didn't right. have those spin the spindles coming off, but the spindles were from the Superman the movie. Yep. And here we learn about the Genesis Chamber. Yep. Again, an inactive one. Right. So it's it's there like it could be reactivated, but it's not active right now. Yeah, and so here he's saying, you know, the predetermined, the overly engineered, everything is maybe not the way to go. Maybe the more naturalistic with free choice is the way to go, is what Joral's saying. And we definitely see a recurring and mention of choice, especially in regards to Superman. Mm-hmm. So why didn't you come with me? So like some people say they gripe about it. It's like the movie explicitly brings it up. Why didn't you come with me? And they answer it. You know, they say, yeah, our fate was tied to Krypton. It has to be a kind of a new start. Clark represents that new start. I'm alone. Yeah. 
So like Clark definitely has these moments of feeling alone, but can he find a way to be at home? Can he find those connections by the end of the movie? Yes. Boom. Oh, that's great. Great reveal. So now where did the suit come from? Yeah, so does the ship have a fabrication like uh, capability? I mean, presumably Jorel's programming is in the command key, so anything that he yeah, you know, sets forth in the computer to do, it will do. Right. And Kara was the captain of the ship, I believe, and I think she might have had the same crest. So like the the crest so existed, I think, yep. even at the time of the ship if, if so, they were in fact you know if if the other people uh, up the kryptonians on the ship were from the house of al then it would make sense that that was there also yeah on that previous shot when he was coming out of the doorway if people look at it again on the left is a destroyed world which was krypton and on the right is a new world which is earth so he actually is emerging between the two planets um so this is one of my favorite scenes, not only in this movie, but like in any movie in the last five years. Um, like, so if you think about, we've seen Clark and he's been, you know, kind of aimlessly going around. He's trying to find his place. He feels alone. Um, and now he's getting some answers. Finally, he has a little bit of an identity and now he's going to, with the sort of blessing of his father, Jor-El, he's going to try to expand his powers a little bit. I like music, how when he first walks out of the ship and he stands there, he's sort of, you could tell Henry Cavill's acting, he makes it feel, look like he, you know, he feels uncomfortable in that suit himself. Like, it's something very strange to him. Right. And of course, this reaction is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> he's feeling it, it feels good, and then, oh, it's going to take a little bit of getting used to. But it also shows, I mean, look at that power taken out the mountain. Now here we get our third shot of an edge with a hand coming over it. We had Jor-El and Lois, now Clark. Standing back up, soak up some rays. No, it's just a great scene, and the music makes the scene, of course. But um, we should mention quickly, so one homage is him starting to leap before he can fly, and that's because in the comics he started by leaping tall buildings before he could actually just straight up fly. That's right. Uh, in the history of the character. And then... This narration is um, cribbed from Grant Morrison's All-Star Superman. I think it also helps to establish the learning curve. Yeah. And I like here, too, how it shows that his flying powers are a little bit gravity-based. Like, there's a little bit of manipulation of gravity that happens. Right. So they, they give a little bit of a physical hint at how the power works. Sort of reminds me a... of some Japanese anime. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like the powering up before you right. go. But just great shot. I mean, I can't believe how realistic this looks. Like It looks like they're actually capturing Superman flying on camera. It's so cool. Homage to Birth right there. Oh, great stuff. With the show. Oh, man, it's just all so good. And the music. I love this music. So I have two young boys, like you know, and they have a little Superman dance that they do to this music where they power up and then they run and put their arms out and pretend they're flying. It's so cool. That's cool. There's another smile. Yeah. And we see I mean, several sonic booms as he speeds up. So yeah. he's definitely breaking the sound barrier. 
but just imagine how amazing this must feel for him. Like, first of all, he has a way to travel now <laughs> without having hitch rides. And, like, he can protect his identity by flying to where he needs to go. An homage to Christopher Reeve there. Yeah, definitely. Great shot. I think an improvement even on that shot. But he's finding those new powers, finding a little bit of who he is. Um, Just all of that coming together, the joy of that scene is just amazing. Now, this is great, too. So we see Superman coming into his power of flight. And now we see Lois Lane's power, which is her investigation. She knows how to follow a lead. And, you know, for people who question how Lex Luthor knew Clark's identity, I mean, here we see Lois doing the legwork. Lex Luthor could have just as easily done the same legwork, but he, of course, had a lot more technology and resources. Right. So, to me, I was a little surprised when I first watched this movie, like that she would, that Lois was able to figure out this so fast. But I immediately loved this decision by the filmmakers to have Lois find Clark and and put the identities together, because to me, it, first of all, it shows how good Lois is. But second of all, it makes it where Lois can be fully connected to Clark, like she knows his Superman side and his Clark side and his background, and she knows that he's been hates helping people his whole life. And to me, that sets her up to be a full partner to him instead of just like a half partner that there's a big lie between them. Yeah, and I think for those who complained about their relationship in Batman v Superman, they're missing the fact that that relationship is established in this movie. Yeah, I think it's really good. I mean, even right now they're, they're meeting where she knows him and, and they're going to do this, but she has also been learning about him from other people by following that story. And it's kind of like, it means even more when you hear other people say what a good guy he is or how he helped him out or whatever. Like, that's kind of the best way to get to know somebody is to to learn about them from other people. Um, Because then you can really believe them rather than somebody just like bragging about themselves. And Lois just pointed out that not saving people is not an option. Right. She, She has recognized that he just needs to save people. That's what his instincts are. So this one what thing a horrible thing to say right before your father dies. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. So one thing that I think throws people off is that Henry Cavill played this part, this scene, but he's supposed to be Clark Kent when he's like 17. And I think that people don't realize that he's supposed to be 17. Because if you, if you think about this whole sequence that's going to happen, and if you realize that's a teenager right there, right. I think it changes the way I mean, people interpret the scene. He obviously looks older, but yeah, that's just the actor. Yeah. So if you think of him as 17, he was just having a hissy fit with his dad. So he's not grown up yet. He's not an adult. He's still a little bit immature. And because of that, Jonathan knows he's not ready to take the mantle of Superman to face all the repercussions of that. So Jonathan says, no, you, you still need to wait a little bit longer. You're a teenager. You still have some growing up to do. I think the so fact Jim, that they go back to save the dog here sort of speaks to the value of life that Clark was taught growing up. Yeah. And I I don't have uh, pets, but I've talked to people that do have pets, and they say it's no question that you would save a dog. If, if you love a dog and it's part of your family, you save it just like you would another member of the family. I know other people might disagree, but for Jonathan... Maybe a dog is something that's like, no, we're not going to leave our dog behind. 
Just because another person might make a different decision doesn't mean Jonathan was wrong to make his decision. The other thing that I think is important, so remember Clark is a teenager here and an immature teenager because of what we saw earlier in the scene. And also remember that Clark does not know the extent of his powers. Oh, that's true. I never considered that. Like, we know Superman for 75 years, so we know he can survive a a tornado. But how would Clark know that he survives a tornado? Like, does he just on weekends, like, you know, throw logs at himself and smash himself with cars? (laughs) Like, you would never smash yourself with a car to test and see if you can survive being smashed with a car. So, so Clark wants to go save him, but he doesn't know if he would survive it. Jonathan doesn't know if he would survive it. And Jonathan also knows Clark is not ready to reveal his secret. So Jonathan says, like, no, to protect you, my son, I'm willing to give my life up. I love you. Man, it's a good scene. And look at the emotion on it's, you know, it's definitely an emotional scene, but I'm still bothered the way he puts up his hand. I feel like they could have done something different. They could have, you know, still captured this same idea, but presented it differently. You know, it's just a personal gripe. Yeah. So to me, I think it was important that it had to be Jonathan's choice to die. And I think it also had to be that Jonathan was telling his son, don't do this. So for Clark, it was a choice. Am I going to disregard my father's wishes and go sit, try to save him? I might die when I do it. Or should I follow my father's wishes? And he makes the choice to follow his father's wishes. And that eats away at Clark. Like when he's talking to Lois, he still feels guilty about that decision. Like sh- Clark still thinks maybe I should have gone to try to save him. So like it was not an easy choice. And that's the whole point that it was not an easy choice. And he has to try to live with it. Well, considering think- that Jonathan went back to save the dog, it almost seems like all the more, you know, feeling of regret that he might have, that he didn't act like his father did. Mm-hmm. So um, when we do some other episodes on Man of Steel later this year, we'll have to revisit some of this stuff. But um, now we've got Lois. She's deciding to bury the story. Perry's suspicious now where the story went. But I think Lois, she interacted and she knows Clark now and she's met him face-to-face. And I think she realizes... Maybe I need to think about this more before I go ahead and just reveal the secret to everybody. Maybe that's not the best thing to do right now. So she's she's now thinking sort of in partnership with Clark rather than just like going for the story at all costs. And now here we're getting some foreshadowing of, you know, how would the world react if they knew an alien was here. So I think there's this theme of like, how does the humankind react to an alien amongst us and also like I, like i've been saying clark is the alien amongst us and he's kind of evaluating the merits and the flaws of humanity but also the good sides of humanity the what kind of was that a lexcore truck did you catch it uh you know i thought it was but you know i don't want to say for sure because i could be wrong yeah so now the nice homecoming I was actually focused on the fact that this dog is still alive. <laughs> yep, there's the dog. You're right. <laughs> Same one or maybe a pup. Maybe it's a offspring. So there's another few smiles from Clark. I love the, the bond, another smile. I love the bond between him and his mom and between him and Lois because both of those play off in Batman v Superman as well. So we see Clark talking to Martha a lot in this movie. You know, they have that that 
bond and that relationship. So it's like understood in Batman v Superman, and they don't really mm-hmm. need to talk because they know each other so well. Yeah. So when he's taking like advice a- from his mom, he doesn't need to say anything. He needs to just sort of take it in. Right. He he needed to be with his mom. Yeah, he didn't need to talk to her there in Batman v Superman. And, like, think about how strong this bond is. Like, she's the only person in the whole world that knows him fully until Lois now. Like, Lois is going to be a second person. But in the whole world, there's only two people that are, like, that he really has a full connection with. And obviously Martha's the biggest one, you know, from from childhood, infancy. And so for Martha, this is, right, this is an emotional moment, too. Like, she's happy to see her son excited about finding out his origins, but for her, that also means now, you know, she's not just his son. You know, he has these other parents and stuff, too. And she's worried, yeah. So she's worried to lose her son, too, because she loves him. I just feel like there's so much heart in this movie, I can't believe it. <laughs> I do miss, the, you know, the, the old story of how Martha created the costume, though. Yeah, I think the nice thing is we still have that story, right? Like, we, we don't have it here, but we have it in other places, so yeah. we can go get it from there. Yeah, there are some nice moments with that one as well. So now we're going to... So now we've had the Clark's personal journey reach a new point, and now we're going to ratchet the plot forward a little bit. Swanwick and Hamilton... Kind of the intelligentsia and the military personified. And I was surprised how uh, my understanding is that Emil Hamilton dies in this because he's a pretty important character in the comics, working for mm-hmm. Cadmus and such. And yeah, I think this is his only his only hurrah as Man of Steel. I think. Yeah, and in the comics, he actually helps Superman explore his powers and his, you know, limits. Right. So they had a nice little uh, cut to this scene using the toner being empty as a little bit of a joke. Um, but yeah, so Zod's arrival now, here. Yeah, now here we see, we see Zod appearing on the television. And this is another, you know, pulling directly from Earth-1 comics. Except, yep, absolutely. In, except in that, it's Tyrell. Right, who, but still broadcasting over the TVs and stuff. Right. But and yep. we learn in, in Volume 3 that Zod actually sent Tyrell, so they sort of skip the middleman in, in this movie. <laughs> yeah, so now this is kind of interesting that now the world is going to see that extraterrestrials exist, but it, it's actually not from Clark. They, they see Zod first. Because you kind of would have always assumed that Clark is going to be the first, you know, like Jonathan said, you're going to be the answer to are we alone in the universe? And actually Zod is the answer to it. Zod's the first one that comes in publicly. Now before Superman even comes, you know, goes public, the fact that this is being broadcast and they see a UFO has to be putting Lex Luthor, you know, on edge and wanting to know more and learn more. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's interesting to think of. What's Lex Luthor thinking right now when he sees this? <laughs> yeah, and it's worldwide. I think it's, they did a nice job here of just showing... In some ways, it kind of unifies humanity, right? Like, 
humanity is all realizing now that there is this other race well, or other species. Ironically, in the Earth One comic, Tyrell specifically says, "How do you, how does this world expect to, you know, get anywhere when you don't even have a unified language yet?" Oh yeah. <laughs> So we've got Zod back. And this is where I like it, like I was saying before, where the, the Krypton opening was not just an origin, it's actually, that was the seeds of the plot that are going to be the main plot of the movie. So Clark did not have much time of just having sort of the nice information from the scout ship. Before he could really even let that sink in, he now has this threat coming in, an ultimatum from Zod. Now, I have to wonder if Zod purposely um, camouflaged his appearance here. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, to maybe strike fear or, you know, anonymity. Yeah. Um, one quick thing we should say, too, is... So, you know, it was the activation of the scout ship that allowed Zod to come find this, but... You can't put blame on Clark for doing that because he had no idea that that would happen. You know, I think you can only assign active blame to somebody if they knew that there was something wrong or dangerous in what they were doing. This was a totally inadvertent thing that Zod would come. And he if probably, someone else had activated the scout ship, they, you know, he would have came too. He probably does blame himself, though. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like, he, he can feel guilt over it, but, like, we should not blame him for it because he had no way of knowing that that was going to happen. And all the destruction that happens later, that's Zod's fault. It's not Clark's fault inadvertently, indirectly. <laughs> so now the story's coming out that the, yeah, that this guy, the Kryptonian that's on Earth already is there. So one thing that I'm not sure if I like or not. So they do say that, like, who end, the person who ends up being Superman, Zod says, you know, he might have been, or he is hiding amongst you as a human. I wish that that wasn't in there because, for me, the, the easiest way that Superman hides his identity as Clark Kent is for people to just not even think that there is a secret identity. Like, if people just think that Superman is Superman 24 hours a day, they're not even looking for a human that, that happens to be Superman in hiding or incognito. But True, Zod kind of gives gives that away. Zod says, oh, this guy would be hiding amongst you as a human. But that certainly plays into how Lex may have started looking for others like Clark. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Like maybe there have been others hiding amongst us all along or for a while too. Right. So Clark is facing another choice now, uh, you know, a pretty big one. And so he's contemplating this choice. He's a very, you know, thoughtful person, internal person. And as he's thinking about it, he goes to the church, but he also thinks back. He's reading Plato. Here's another scene taken from Earth One. Yeah, definitely people should read Earth One if they haven't already. It's got lots of parallels. But again here, you know, humanity, bullying... Clark is a little bit different, quiet. Yeah, I mean, bullied. they certainly touched on, on this aspect in, in other Superman stories, so it's nothing yeah. exactly new. But now this is a big moment, because again, if you're keeping like your Clark scorecard of humanity, 
we had the bully, but now we have uh, Pete who is helping him up. So it shows a little bit of hope, right? Like that if you do something nice for people, they can actually become better. They can be kind. So he has his parents that show some hope for humanity. Pete shows some, you know, possible redemptive value of humanity. And then in adulthood, Lois, I think, gives him some more hope for humanity. It could also but, indicate to us how, that a, they may be building a friendship because they do have a friendship in various Superman stories. Yep. And so why is Clark thinking about this flashback right now? I think like this was a moment where a bully was kind of standing over him and taunting him to fight. I think that's the parallel to Zod. Like Zod is coming up and kind of taunting him to Definitely. do too. And back when he was a child, Jonathan sort of was able to talk to him and he could think through to not just jump to violence or whatever. Now, earlier I was wondering if, you know, the Kents sort of raised Clark as religious and what religion they may, you know, obviously that part of the country you would think is primarily Catholic or Christian. And here we see him going to a presumably Catholic church. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when he talks about what's right and what's wrong and how he should act, that certainly made me question, well, you know, is he considering religion and, and sort of how what his religious beliefs are telling him to do? And here we see him actually seeking a counsel from a, a you know, a religious mm -hmm. uh, figure. Yeah. And they have... A like clearly the parallels to Jesus where before Jesus, you know, offers himself up to be crucified, he went and prayed in solitude. And I think that this is the similar moment before I sacrifice myself or give myself up to humankind and kind of bear my cross. I'm, I have that moment of con contemplation like Jesus did. I think that Zack Snyder could have been a little more subtle because he literally had like Jesus praying <laughs> in the garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane or whatever it was. And I think you could have had that maybe in the background, but not so obviously framed in the picture. But I like the parallels. Now, this whole uh, Superman handing himself over and talking to the government, it reminds me a lot of the movie The Day the Earth Stood Still. And in, in a way, the world has stood still in this movie here. Mm-hmm. But big moment for Superman overall, right? Like he's taking that leap of faith for humanity, even though he's seen some of the negative sides of humanity, he said, I'm still going to take the leap of faith and hope that humanity comes through for me. Uh, he's willing, like Superman is willing to take that first step of forming a bond between him and humanity. And he's hoping that humanity returns it. And Lois, again, Lois is kind of the beacon of hope for him that maybe it will turn out okay. It's not an S. Yeah, it's good. I, I'm glad that they kind of addressed that straight on. Right. And it's kind of a nice moment between the two of them, too. And, More smiles from Superman. And, the, and the, you know, he turns himself over here, similar to how in BVS, he turns himself over to the Senate. So it's certainly mm -hmm. hit showing his willingness to cooperate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So he's gotten good control of his uh, vision, x-ray vision. We know he can fly now. He's very controlled flyer now, like when we saw the hovering earlier. So we know that he's been refining his powers, even just since he met Jor-El. 
See, Emil says uh, you can't expect us not to take precautions, and I think Lex was sort of banking on that and when he presented the, uh, the deterrent. Mm-hmm. I think this whole interaction is, is pretty realistic. Like, they kind of condensed it down into one scene like this, but I think it's realistic in terms of what the military's perspective would be, what Superman's perspective is. Yeah, do what you have to do. So, like, Superman is playing along, being a good sport. This is like a Zack Snyder shot. <laughs> he does this straight on in quite a few of his movies. Now, he tells General Swan, Swanwick, do what you have to do, but it's interesting how they show a shot of, of him in the mirror where it's it's almost like he's also telling himself, oh. do what you have to do. Oh, great point. I never noticed that. So super. So, to me, this isn't rushed. There's a lot of depth to what Superman, the bond that they've already formed, and you have to kind of fill in like Lois as she followed the story that she would be bonding with Superman through her story. So they've had they haven't had a lot of time together, but they have bonded because for Superman, it's a woman who now knows him and is reacting positively and with sympathy towards him. And for Lois, she sees how he's good in his heart. She she sees that he wants to help. He wants to save people. He's a humble. Well, and they're sharing a, sec- a a pretty big secret, and that's certainly going to create a bond of trust there. Yeah. Nice red cape. I like the colors of the suit. There are some scenes where the suit doesn't pop really well, but there are some scenes like this too where the red and blue come through pretty nicely. So is this that is a crop circle ship, in the background? This is some more Kryptonian technology. Here we so we got Feor coming down and then uh is it Maroni, right? Obviously wearing their suits of armor to protect them from the atmosphere. Yeah. I think it was great, though, that we got the shot of... Uh, uh, what's his name? Is Maroni the actor's name or whatever? But when Pharaoh is coming down the steps, we see his reaction shot of it because they're going to have a little showdown throughout the whole movie. So he's he's just seen his first Kryptonian live in the flesh. So now, how does Zod know about Lois? So yeah, um, first of all, why would he want Lois to come? Man of Steel answers covers that pretty well, right. saying that Lois was in the scout ship, uh, and Lois is the one that has investigated Clark's history and stuff. So Lois has more experience and knows more things than any other human, basically. Also, Zod might be thinking, I want a leverage piece over Clark. Um, But he's going to read Lois's mind and try to figure out that because she's the one that investigated Clark's history and stuff. And she also might want a, a little leverage piece over Clark. So it makes sense for Zod to bring Lois. Now, your question is, how does he even know all of that about Lois? Right. I'm not sure. It could be that he's able to tap into just you know information from earth he was able to tap into all of the communication systems so maybe he could tap into information systems as well i don't know so the command key gets handed no lines spoken you just have to follow 
So now, does that suggest that the atmosphere on the ship is similar to that on Krypton? Yeah, I think I think it's a Kryptonian atmosphere. Yep. So now, if it's the Kryptonian atmosphere, that's making Superman sort of normal. Why is that yeah. radiation that he absorbed from the sun not doing anything? Is it neutralizing that radiation that he absorbed? Yeah, so, again, Man of Steel Answers does a really good job covering this kind of stuff. Uh, I'll try to remember it. Like, So, Man of Steel Answers says that Superman's powers are like a battery. And so there's two things that need to happen. Your battery needs to be charged, and your battery needs to be actually, like, installed. And, like, you know, plugged into the apparatus um, so the sun is what charges up his battery but the atmosphere needs to be right for the battery to actually be like activated or sort of like the battery is plugged in so basically when the atmosphere is wrong it's like it's like taking the battery out of your phone that battery still has a charge but it's not plugged in hmm. if you can get it plugged back in um, then it still has a full charge and it's ready to go so that's how man of steel answers explained it i'm pretty sure so in other so, words, Superman all, couldn't couldn't fly through space then. Um, so I don't know about no atmosphere, like space is the absence of atmosphere. Right. I don't know if that's the same as a different atmosphere. Okay. We would still have to wait and see, because um, so far we've only seen him kind of fly up into just low level space in Batman v Superman, right? He well, didn't the, really go out into deep right, space right. very far. Just in the stratosphere, I think. But. Yeah. But that's actually the, that whole uh, battery explanation. That's actually the explanation given for why Doomsday was able to kill Superman because his battery was essentially drained. Right. In in the comics, of course. Yep. So some people complain that this is like the third time hearing the story of Krypton, but each time it's a little different. Like um, this time, it's from Zod's perspective. We get Zod's telling of it, and we get to see him how he reacted to it, and Feora. Well, and this so is sort of also, you know, what the following those events. It's not exactly the same same story, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, like at this point, now we're getting new information from what they did after that, um, and we're learning about how he modified the the ship in order to travel. Yep. And I think I forgot to say earlier, like when they were banished to the Phantom Zone, some people say, like, why did the Kryptonians banish them to the Phantom Zone? Their planet's about to blow up. But that's kind of the whole point. Like, the Kryptonian society and at least the council, they were just going through their, their procedures and traditions and they weren't, they weren't responding to the actual situation around them. That's the whole point. So that's why they were still going through their routines of, well, we're going to sentence you and then we're going to, you know, send you to your punishment. It's like you're going through your traditions and your routines without reacting to the actual problems facing your world. And I think they were also in a bit of denial. Yeah. So, sorry, but yeah, I was talking over some of that stuff. Um, so, I'm in, I live in Missouri, and there's a lot of Royals fans around me, so it's cool to see the Royals shirts still. <laughs> um, so, this, scene, this yeah, whole so, explanation is pretty important because it, it basically yeah. shows us how Zod finds the world engine and how he yep. you know makes adjustments to it. Yep, and how they have their Black Zero and the world engine together. So, you know, those are both going to become important later. Right. And now we get, you know, the filmmakers have found a pretty clever way to show us what the threat is 
through this kind of dream vision. There goes the farm. This probably isn't the best way for Zod to try to convince Kal-El, though. <laughs> <laughs> if he knew Kal-El better or he knew Clark better, true. he might have taken a different approach. True, true. But, yeah, I think you're right. That This was not the right uh, angle to be persuasive for Clark. But, yeah, so this is, you know, it's a visual representation of the fact that new Krypton would be built on the you know destruction of humanity certainly some really cool imagery yeah and now the black superman suit is of right. course very intriguing with thinking about justice league <laughs> yeah so here we have superman so this would be like his so his solar battery is unplugged from him and that's why he doesn't have his strength so yeah Almost as if his cells are responding differently to the atmosphere and they can't tap into that radiation. Yeah. So Zod says it haunts him that haunts him that he killed um, Jor-El. But he, you know, it haunts him, but he's got his mission and he's still carrying out his mission. That's his driving force to, you know, reestablish Krypton. There's a snap zoom again. That guy's not the best actor, but small part. Most of the acting in this is pretty solid, though. Tridents. <laughs> I didn't pick up that Allusion part. to Aquaman. <laughs> yeah. So this is like the science officer, so I took it... Jaxer or whatever it is. Oh, a little bit mean. I don't know that group. You know, name, but. come to think of it, it's possible that he tapped into the scout ship's surveillance and saw him save Lois. Hmm. Yeah, that could be. Yeah. And so here she's putting it together, just like Clark did. Again, it's like unspoken. You know, Clark saw the hole, realized what you could maybe do. She sees the hole, and again, unspoken, she figures out what to do. So now Lois figures this out. It's not far-fetched mm -hmm. for Lex to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that becomes important later. Like, the fact that she was here to see how the command key works, that's why she needed to be on the bomber later to help them right. with the plan. She's the only one that had actual experience with the command key. So now he's uploading into this ship. Of course I can. Now, did Superman actually tell Lois his name was Kal-El? Or is she just sort of putting two and two together? Uh, not sure. It could be either way. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah. I like it here, though, that it sets up for Lois to play an active part in that. 
yeah. in the next sequence coming up. All right, so the atmospheres are. So I think the hand thing, you know, is, it's just important to sh so that the audience can tell exactly, that he's the right. one, you yep. know, doing these things. Yeah. You have to have, you know, you have to have some kind of visual way that the audience can make that connection. He's got the blood, which you'll be able to test later, which is important. Aha, so the atmosphere. So now the solar battery is plugged back in, which means he can access his powers, which were there all along, but he just couldn't access them. So there's definitely, you know, IHOP and Sears. Um, to me, I don't mind. Like, those things do exist in the real world, so it would be weird to have just a generic store. Like, Sears exists, so to me it's fine if they also show up in movies. It also shows us Smallville, and that's eventually where the fight is going to go. Yeah, it's giving you a little preview of the setting. Phantom drives are essential, so that's going to be important. Also, there's, yeah, we'll get to that later. There's some mis misconceptions about how the, the plan actually works with the phantom drives. And uh, um, so sh there is the question of where the kryptonite comes from for Batman v Superman. And uh, I sort of got the impression that they were used as energy sources for the phantom, uh, phantom drives. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it could be that, or it could be some sort of byproduct of the gravity beam, like yeah I had considered that explained. but it, it didn't make sense if they were terraforming for, to make the planet adaptable to them it wouldn't make sense for it to be creating kryptonite yeah I was thinking like it's maybe only makes small little fragments as an unintended byproduct not that they really it's not the main focus of the process but so he sees see, uh, he can see Lois falling in a damaged drop ship there's the Christ pose. It's going to go save all of them. So the metaphor continues. Great colors there. Music. Good stuff. And there's, of course, that Jesus uh, imagery. Yeah, definitely. Um, good energy to this scene. Good, good kinesthetics. Like the... Motions and stuff are very energetic and fluid. Once again, Superman saving Lois. <laughs> I like the shot of the fields and stuff, though. I like how this works, too, how he pulls and then turns. You mean how he might have done in the beginning of Batman v Superman with the, uh, the general in Africa? <laughs> Yeah, maybe he cradled the general in his arms or, yep. <laughs> so. Ah, see, so now Kalarik's right. mom is being threatened. Yep. And here we see yeah, how this... love for his mother will cause him to react. Yep, and throughout both movies, you can just start to feel for Superman, too. Like, he never gets a moment to enjoy a little bit of calm or 
like you know earlier I was saying he just found out of his background but then Zod comes now here he just saved Lois they have this moment but then immediately his mom's in danger so he has to go right back into action more smiles by the way of Superman oh but now he's he realizes yeah so she yells his name but there's no way that police officer here heard it here <laughs> there's a later one where it's a little bit of a closer call but I think it's still okay um, so yeah, looking for the, now their oh. armor, their suits remind me of, uh, the video game fallout. Ah, Martha's pretty BA though, right? Like imagine yeah. how scary this would be. And she stands her ground. Let's go to hell. She did inadvertently give away the location, but I think they were going to find it anyway. And at this point, they don't know where the codex is. They don't. Re they're not aware that it's inside Superman. Right. Like I think that I took it that they're actually looking for that skull. You know, like maybe it was in the ship. Right. Or... Right. There we go. The flying punch tackle. So now. You know, like you could say maybe that wasn't the best direction for Superman to tackle Zod, but he was coming in as fast as he could to try to get Zod, so he's going to hit him and go. He's He See, didn't take time to plan, plan out all the angles. And he specifically says, you think you could threaten my mother, which yeah. Lex uses against Clark and Batman v Superman, that, that love for his mother. Yep. This looks really cool. Yeah, it's great. The, the oranges as a backdrop. The red pops in this scene, too, for the cape. So, so now, now this Zod's gives Zod an early start on adapting to the atmosphere. Yep, ahead of the other Kryptonians. And it's also the, you know, we can connect it back to Clark when he was a little boy, having the same overloads. Right. Yep, he's getting sound overload, smell overload, maybe. <laughs> So he must recognize yeah. that pain. He must be familiar with it. Yeah. Because he dealt with that himself growing up. So Zod's just angry that he's, you know, has to retreat to recoup. And also they don't, yeah, they still don't know where the Codex is. Um because Jaxer or whatever, I think, is that the name of the scientist? Jaxer, he hasn't had a chance to run the blood yet. But, all right, so this is the, the Smallville battle. So, to me, it's a little bit of an homage to Superman 2, where there's the rural town. Uh, oh, sure, that, yeah. Where there's the fight with Zod and stuff. And they have some similar shots here. Now, now Superman really doesn't know what's going to happen. You know, Superman has never been in a fight before like this. He tells people to get inside. That's the best that you can do. You know, what else are you going to tell people? So here's Colonel Hardy. It was Colonel Hardy. The actor's name is Maloney. So uh, at this point, they don't know if Superman is necessarily a good guy or a bad guy. 
Right. Yeah, yeah. The military doesn't know what to make of this yet. Yeah, so they got three targets, right? Like, they're all aliens. And, uh, you know, Zod has threatened Earth, so the, all these aliens are potential problems for the military. And that was one of the few times we've ever actually seen Superman with super speed. Yeah, he does have a bit of a burst to the, yeah. I don't think he has super speed in the way that some people expect him to from, like, the comics or from past stuff. Right. But he he can do a quick burst when he needs to. And Feora has pretty good speed. Presumably he could fly faster than he can run because of that momentum. Right. And his manipulation of gravity. But Feora moves very quick in this. Yeah. There he saves that pilot. So there's Pete. So, I, you know, Pete knows the identity. So he knows, wait, so Clark is now wearing that suit. <laughs> <laughs> but I think there's a lot of people in Smallville that might know, but they just keep the secret for him. So Feor is obviously faster than Superman. And Feor has got some very good fighting technique. You know, Clark is just, he punches and, you know, he's not a trained fighter. Right. So he's got strength, but Feora's got training. I like her accent. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. There's the smash safe, which was the first image of Superman released, I yep. believe. I was just thinking that. Now, evolution always wins. I think I mentioned this in my, uh, my contribution to uh, Lex's speech in Batman v Superman. And I think right. that's an important line there that plays yeah. very much into that. Yeah, and she, you know, she thinks of Kryptonians as like the more evolved, but they're also the a kind of artificially evolved, right? Like it wasn't natural selection all the way through. At some point it was artificial selection. Right, that's so, true. So from you know, you can see what her perspective is, but you can also see that there's a little bit of a flaw in her reasoning. I love I love how they designed this fight scene to like use Superman's powers like he tries to fly to get away they grab him he tries to fly but they're on him. I also like how the punches they feel super powered. This is just I think Zack Snyder has a lot of strengths but this is definitely one of them like just the choreography of the scenes and how they design the scenes to say you know what powers do we have and how can we make something that is a cool unique way to use those powers. Technically, this is the first time in a live-action setting that we've seen Superman have such a an all-out battle. Like an actual super-powered fight, yeah. Right. So that's definitely yeah, that, something that I, I did like from my very first viewing. Right. So he saved that soldier. But yeah, you're right. The, I mean we could sort of slow this down and do an analysis of the editing and the choreography and the physicality of it. But I think it's just, it just works on a kind of gut level as a really cool action scene. 
Like there was a helicopter crash, I think, in Superman two in the in the now small Guardian town fight is down. Well. I I wonder if that is like a, a reference to the Guardian in the Superman comics, the character. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they might just have those little things that are just subtle little nods for some people to catch. So here we get, you know, some impressiveness. We get to see the the muster of Colonel Hardy here. He's, you know, a brave soldier. And it it's this is, you know, the next step in the Hardy Feora showdown. So the <laughs> rifle didn't work, pistol doesn't work. <laughs> oh, yeah. it just had the world engine sound. Oh yeah. Uh, and I think there was actually uh, someone on YouTube that commented about that in that specific spot. So now they pull knives. So she kind of respects him a little bit, saying that you know he was about to have a good death well, with his bravery, um, standing toe to toe with her. And, and Superman had a good death later. in Batman v Superman, which yeah. definitely had its own reward. Yeah. He, he earned the world's respect and appreciation. So Superman just saved uh, Colonel Hardy, and now she's basically telling him, you know, you can try to save these people one at a time, but we're going to kill a million more. Like, they, they see humanity just as little in- ants, you know, to stop Actually, on them. It doesn't matter. That's interesting uh, that actually Lex in Birthright um, makes that sort of comment about how Superman tries to, to get to people one at a time and, and he thinks more globally. Yeah. But I think that comic might have come out after this. Which one, Birthright? Yeah. Uh, no, I think it was a few years before this. Oh, okay. I think so. So Superman is able to survive the fight at least. So now here they're coming and yeah, here's the sort of moment where they've realized, and at least Colonel Hardy's realized that Superman was fighting with them. Superman was saving them. That Superman can be their ally against the Kryptonians. Great, sh- like a great shot with the boot and the cape coming. One thing I like about this movie, too, is that it's really a movie where Superman and the military are partners. Um, I'll just say some other superhero movies, the military or the police officers seem less than capable and the heroes are the only ones that can do anything. But here Superman's like, the military's going to do their part and I'm going to do my part. Right. And it looks like Birthright came out in 2003. Oh, okay. So oh, that's even earlier than I thought. Yeah. Um, but here now, it's uh, you know they kind of have this respect. They've fought together. They've seen each other's muster. And Superman is happy to have you know again. It's another glimmer of hope for humanity. Like oh, maybe humanity can actually, if they see me for who I am, they can actually respect me, and we can work together. I like those photos, given some of the family history. She wants to save those family photos. She doesn't care as much about the barn or the ha- roof. 
<laughs> I forgot about that one. She's pretty tough. Yep, so now Superman, he's faced one choice already, but he's going to face another one because he's now got to realize, what do I do with this codex? Okay, so here she yelled Clark. And maybe that police officer could hear it, but I'm guessing <laughs> it, either he couldn't hear it or maybe it's a Smallville police officer who will just keep the secret for him. Temporary. Yeah, so he's had some time now to run those blood tests. Yeah, so now it's, you know, Superman represents that decision point now of saving Krypton or not, or in what way to save Krypton. You know, you could use the codex to do something together with humanity, or you could just use it to replace humanity. So, yeah, that is Jaxer, played by Mackenzie okay. Gray. Yeah, good. It's been, you know, I got pretty deep into Man of Steel for a while, but for the last six months, it's been all Batman v Superman stuff and some Suicide Squad. So I'm a little rusty on some of the details. All right, so now, yeah, we're seeing both ships. Got the Black Zero and the World Engine, both important. Both equipped with it, the Phantom Drive. Right. And the Scout ship has a Phantom Drive as well, as well which is what, how it was able to traverse space back in the day. And actually, in uh, Earth-1, Volume 1, this is exactly what happens there's a world engine that comes down and uh tries to terraform the earth there's and a little connection to batman v superman when they find the kryptonite there's like the people diving into the ocean yeah this one's coming over metropolis so this is definitely uh superman earth one by yeah, there's um, even the there's even the scene in the comic where where Superman is fighting against the gravity that's being shot down by the world engine. Yeah. I think these are just great shots. Like you get that scope of the skyscrapers to give you scale. You get it from the you know, looking up like a person would be from that perspective on it. And to me it just looks so realistic. Like it looks like there's actually this ship floating there over the city. And this is definitely, I don't know if this was an homage or if it was done on purpose or a coincidence, but it certainly uh, references uh, War of the Worlds, especially with the three, the three legs. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that definitely seems to right there. Yeah, so... They're going to activate the phantom drives now, and they're slave to the world engine, which is important too. So, like, that means the world engine, that's the one that has all the technology to do the terraforming and everything, and the actual brains of this operation now are the world engine. The Black Zero is just slave to it. It's just basically like, 
a piece of hardware. The world engine is the software. Sort of like Amazon's Alexa and Echo. The Echo is an extension of Alexa. For any tech-savvy people out there who's into that. <laughs> <laughs> so here, now look how big Metropolis is. So Man of Steel Answers also did a video to show that the whole city doesn't get leveled. Not even half the city get levels. Like, some sections of the city get leveled. Um, but Metropolis is a big city, and, you know, most of it is unaffected or fine. There's definitely damage, and substantial damage, and it would be traumatic for everybody involved, but it's not like the whole city was destroyed. So now I think this is a great visual showing how the gravity kind of goes back and forth. So when it's rising on one side and lifting up, and then it slams down and it goes to the other side, I think it's pretty cool. Cool idea. And Elmo actually says somehow they're doing this, so even they don't understand exactly what the terraforming oh, yeah. process is. Right, yeah, yeah. It's a whole, it's technology way beyond what we would have. And that's the first time that we see him referred to as Superman. So this is uh, Clark's ship that he came in. Lois has a plan because she conferred with Jor-El. Now it has a Phantom Drive too. Yeah. Now like it's like a black a hole. Black hole. <laughs> yeah, it's not actually a black hole. <laughs> so the scientists who try to critique it, they you can't assume that it is a black hole, black hole. It's something that we don't quite know about that is similar in some ways to a black hole. Yeah. So you got to take out the Indian Ocean one because that's the one that's actually the brains of that's the one that's running the whole gravity weapon. And the other thing that's key part of the plan is that the phantom drives need to be activated when you cram them into each other. That's what will cause it to happen. If they're inactive, it doesn't it's not going to do anything. So they have to the plan has to allow Zod to activate their engines. So basically some of the damage had to happen. They had to activate the gravity weapon um, because that's the phantom drives need to be on for the plan to work. So it's unfortunate that the destruction has to happen, but they couldn't just take it and go fly it into Zod's ship. They had to wait until Zod was activating his plan, and then they can try to do it. So I think the fact uh, that Superman flies all the way to the Indian Ocean uh, gives us sort of some perspective on how fast he can fly. Mm-hmm. Yep, he definitely goes faster than the speed of sound, like we've seen. But yeah, he is able to get to the other side of the world in, you know, relatively short amount of time. Great shot there too. He might even be flying faster, in you know, in the stratosphere, due to less oh, yeah, wind resistance. Does. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. So the military's doing their part, Superman's doing his part, it's a partnership. So now Zod's going to have a chance to refine his senses and get control of it a little bit better. Like, see, ooh, look, see, now you can tell he's a little bit more in control. That's kind of scary. His eyes moved there, it was crazy. Yeah, I think, I thought Michael Shannon was a really good choice for Zod. 
I know Michael Shannon rubs some people the wrong way, and he's kind of a little bit of a jerk. But uh, I think in terms of his performance, he did a really good job. So now Zod inserts his own command key here yep. to take control of the Genesis Chamber, and that's the command key that Lex pushes into the scout ship in Batman v Superman. Right, that was my understanding too. And so this is the scout ship. This was the ship that was buried for you know eighteen thousand years or whatever it was. So whoever the is the one who inserts the command key is the one who gains control. Somehow it detects. Mm -hmm. You know, Kryptonian technology for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, th the way that I interpreted the coughing and how he kind of loses his flight a little bit there is I took it that there's some Kryptonian atmosphere in the immediate vicinity of the world engine. So it's not, it's not pure Kryptonian atmosphere, but there's elements of the atmosphere. So it gives Clark uh, Superman a little bit of trouble there. And as they explained uh, when they were analyzing the terraforming, it's sending out particulates in the atmosphere so he's probably breathing those particulates in also mm -hmm. there's the ring of debris which has been in every dc film so far because <laughs> uh, here we have the ring of debris in bvs we have a flashback to see this ring of debris from bruce's perspective and then in suicide squad there was also like a ring of debris around enchantress's thing i'm not sure why but it's kind of funny at this point, Bruce has got to be in Metropolis. Yep. So here's that Geo, liquid Geo from Krypton. Right. I like how, again, I like how that was a, it was a cool technology from their culture, but now I like it how it's actually coming into this, you know, the rising action of the plot, and Superman has to fight against that technology. And it's, it's symbolic, too, right? Like, Superman is this naturalistic new chance for Krypton, and he has to defeat the Kryptonian technology that was part of the problem of Superman's old ways that, that were doomed. And we can see oh, how it's... dangerous it is out in the street. Yeah. And how some people might be better off staying inside the building. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so, like, the Wayne financial employees? Yeah, right. like, I thought the same thing. Like, people were saying, why did they need Bruce to tell him to evacuate? Why didn't they already evacuate? And I'm like, why would you assume it's safer in the street? <laughs> Especially, you know, if, if you're not right under the gravity weapon, it seems like maybe inside is safer. And this is probably but, the first time in any movie I've ever seen someone run sideways when someone's falling. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the smart thing to do, obviously. So here we get the continuing the debate that they had back on Krypton. See, the Krypton you're clinging on to. So it's again, it's between Zod's Krypton and Jor-El's Krypton. Or their, their visions of how to kind of save the culture. Ooh. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> Zod doesn't like that. Good act in between these two. They both go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the intensity. So now Zod's gonna kill Jor-El for a second time. So that one line also sort of explains Jor-El's appearance also, how he, he has his memories and conscious. Yeah. So I guess that right there gives a little bit of an insight into how the 
how Jor-El was formed, but to me it doesn't matter too much to figure out exactly how it happened. So now Zod's got the scout ship under his command. He's going to fly it back to Metropolis. The music is good here. It's going to be even better when he goes up in the gravity. Wow. So yeah, you see he's fighting against the liquid geo and the atmospheric stuff. He's got his hands full. And this this part where he's fighting to come back up, that's right from Earth 1, Volume 1. So, yeah, this... Again, they the filmmakers do a good job of all of these moments of potential destruction or actual destruction, they put a human element in each of them. Like, we have a person to identify with to see how actually scary and dangerous this is. Yeah, and I have to admit that this scene... Uh, you know, even from the first time I saw it, it was pretty emotional. Yeah. And even Lombard, you know, he comes back to help. So even people like Lombard, they maybe do have a good heart down at their core. So he's... So they're... Yeah, so they've... They need the world engine to be stopped because that's the one that's actually running the whole deal. And the change now in the, music to yeah, music's gonna a swell up a brighter tone. There may be one frame of Christopher Reeve here. I kind of think there is. Some people aren't so sure. Um, it'll be the next time we see him in that gravity beam. But yeah, look at that gravity coming closer. It's just so realistic. They did a great job with the effects. All right, here I think if you look closely, there's a frame of Christopher Reeve right there. Oh, wow. I never noticed that before. Yeah, they just like overlaid one one or two frames of it as an homage. That's I, amazing. I'm convinced <laughs> that they did. But the music's so good. And it, I think this is good, too. Like, he figured out the way to beat this engine was through the gravity beam is where those liquid geo stuff are not going to come and attack him or pull him off. Right. He, he just has to be able to push through the gravity. And that, that means Superman was exposed to a little bit of phantom energy as well, so he's going to get pulled a little bit toward the uh, phantom zone, but he doesn't have as much of it as like Zod's people who have been traveling through it you know, over and over again. All right, so now the world engine's down. This one's phantom drive is active. The plan is all ready to go forward. So the people who like like how it should have ended that said, like, oh, he should have just talked to Jor-El and then gone and done this with Zod right away, you couldn't have done it before now. You needed to have them both active, and then you needed to take out the world engine. And Took now, all his power, so now he's got to recharge a bit. Right. It's, it's a great shot right there with the focus on the hand and reaching toward the light. Good stuff. We get kind of a similar moment like that too in BVS after the nuclear bomb. It kind of reminds me of that. Like he's already exerted himself once, and he has to recharge and just go right back at it. Superman never quits. Now, of course, the reason that this isn't going is because Feyre had ripped it open and messed up the ship. Yeah, that's right. 
And so here is where it pays off that Lois knows how the command key is supposed to work, right? Nobody else would have known that. Nobody else has ever right. used a command key before, but she has. That's why they brought her along. This is one of those typical things, too, in movies, right? Like, you know, you're building towards this climax, and you have a wrench thrown into it, so there's a little bit more rising action or tension. And now here it rises even more, because now Zod's there to cause some problems. So right here is, you know, it's, how's this going to work out? It seems like Zod's got the upper hand. And Superman gets there just in time. So Superman's impact, yeah, throws the beams off just a little bit. So Zod tries to reason with him. Zod's last chance to try to get Superman on his side. And this is a little bit another of big choice that yep. Super oh, has that, that's Absolutely. That's the choice right there. You know, he is going to side with humanity over Krypton. I do think... You know, Krypton had its chance is a pithier line, but I think the more accurate line would be to sort of say, like, Zod, your Krypton had its chance. Like, your version of Krypton is not the one worth saving. Um, but that's and nitpicking. This is, so this is, how, <clears throat> this is how the scout ship ended up in Metropolis and that pool yep. of, of liquid that Lex goes into uh, comes from that Genesis chamber breaking open. Yeah, and the that scout ship, you know, was crashing through the buildings. I think in BVS that's a little bit of a of a continuity error because I think in BVS the scout ship like crashes through and it's not timed correctly from when the world engine was stopped. But um, it's a very minor thing. There's the Wilhelm scream when that guy goes out. Well, keep in mind that this could be going on while the scout ship is uh, crashing. You know? Yeah, that's true. Like, some stuff could be simultaneous, right. even though we see it in sequence. Yeah, that's true. So here we get the Hardy Farosh Part 3. She's a... In terms of a physical threat, she's a really good character. You know, she's not fully developed three-dimensional. She had she had some emotion when she saw Krypton explode, but just in terms of a physical threat, she's great. So Emil was able to see that it was this... There we go. Boom, it all comes. Hardy so, knows so, what to do. He's willing to do it. I mean, did Lois think that she was going to die on this mission? Um, So... At, the, at that point, I think things were so hectic after Zod arrived that instead of, like, dropping the ship into it, oh, right. they, they he just rammed, he just rammed it, the correct. ship. Yeah, yeah they were going to try to drop it like a bomb, kind of. But, yeah, Lucky ended up being low. Lois was lucky that she was there near the back of the ship to fall out. And so Lois falls while the debris is pulled in because Lois has not been bathed in the Phantom Energy. All that other stuff was like in the gravity waves and stuff, so it got a little bit of the phantom energy on it. But Superman is being pulled, and you can sort of see his face there glowing. Yep. So now you, like, around this scene, that's ground zero of the gravity weapon. 
but the city goes on a lot beyond what we see right here. It seems like the whole city is destroyed, but it's just, it's 360 degrees from this point is destroyed, but it doesn't mean the whole city's destroyed. Right, and like we don't really blocks. know how big Metropolis is. Yeah, there's there's that one one wide shot, but even there we can't see the whole city. Now, I never mind this kiss until later when I heard people complaining about it. But for me, this like your adrenaline's rushing, you just had this massive thing happen and you just survived it and you have this moment of calm. And I think the emotions overtake you. So I don't mind the kiss. I do think these lines could have been better. That would be what I say. Kiss was okay. Lines were well. I mean, there's cheesy. not really anyone around except for you know handful of people. Yeah, now there's destruction around them, but I think they were just swept up in their emotion and their adrenaline of what had happened for them. So I think it's a little bit of tunnel vision, like. Um, but the, yeah, the lines not great. I do have to admit. <laughs> so, you know, the the big threat is taken care of but zod is still there because he was separate remember he was on the scout ship instead of on the black zero yeah so now like let's empathize with zod for a little bit now right like he's he's been the villain but he was sort of in the right to try to overthrow the government on krypton because the government was not doing anything about their planet being destroyed. And here, Zod also, he has a purpose that's been literally bred into him. And he has failed at that purpose. So he's at this low point. He's at, you know, he's broken. He's a broken man. And he just said yeah. it's for the greater good of his people. And, yeah. And, and that's a major, uh, that took, you know, I had mentioned this uh, in the podcast, how that's a major aspect of Batman v Superman where, What's good for one is not good for another. So, obviously, what's mm -hmm. good for him and his people would not have been good for Earth. Yeah. But so now he has he has a reason to hate Superman even beyond uh, his relationship to Jor-El. Yeah. That's great how Superman hovers up. Oh, a great shot from above. You can feel the power of these two. Kryptonian beings. Zack Snyder, in, in this one and in BVS, he does a great job of just, f you can feel the punches, you can feel the power that these people have. So now at this point, there's no real reason to draw Zod away from the city because the city's already been destroyed. Uh, the portion where they started the fight was already destroyed by the gravity weapon. This building had been evacuated well except for jack poor jack and right. some of the stragglers <laughs> but again that was zod taking down the building right there like zod tackled in and then zod's eye beams and now there's from that angle the building collapsing and in bvs we see it from the other angle like says so superman there is just thrown right like through that parking garage that was not superman's choice now he comes out ready to go. So here, I think, again, another LexCorp truck. So, yeah, again, I don't want to go through all the nitpicks people have. Like nip, Some people are like, well, could he have stopped those trucks from crashing? It's like they well, take he, every he single does look back moment. And notice the explosion as if he didn't realize that that would happen. Yeah, and to me, like when you're in a fight, 
you might not do the exact best thing at every single moment of the fight. And it's like people watching the movie that can watch it again and pause it and think about what the absolute best thing to do would have been. But if you're in a fight, you're not always going to do the best perfect thing every single time. That line is okay because he is saying there's one way it ends. One of them has to die. So now Zod can't uh, fly yet. So he's yeah, Zod. scaling the building. Scaling the building like a freak. Yeah, it's pretty creepy. Again, it doesn't destroy the whole building, though. It's mostly just the face of the building. Like the... Oh, there's an homage to Superman 2 right there. Mm, that's true. A little bit of a joke with the uh, zero days since an accident. I do uh, resent this upcoming remark. Because I did grow up on a farm. <laughs> And but I get it that Zod would look down on that as a lesser than type thing. Well, I mean, it has to do with you know his fighting prowess. Yeah, he's got the he's got the fight training, and Zod's also from a society where people are, people are literally bred into different you know castes. So he probably does look down on the lower like what are considered the lower things because it's you know basically I'm better bred. I'm bred for a higher purpose than farmers are. But See, now this, I identify with this the whole sequence is awesome. The whole flying fight. Oh, it's great. Yeah, like this was right on my first viewing. I was just kind of wowed by it. Um, taking superhero movies to, you know, some new levels to how good this looks and how you can feel the energy and superpowered beings f fighting through the middle of a city like this. And Superman's trying to hold his own, but Zod definitely has the upper hand in most of this fight. But again, that that's like an example of how I really appreciate Snyder. Like, he thinks through these fights, he sort of says, you know, what do we have to work with? And he comes up with a cool moment, like, to use the cape. There to lose the kind of sense of vertical. Zod tackles him up. We saw we just saw Utopia Casino uh in the Metropolis skyscape when um during that battle. And that's actually from the comics. Mm-hmm. And now it's important to note that Zod is the one that tackles him back down towards the city. And now here great moment there, great visual of the And this is the scene where Bruce looks up and sees them falling in Batman yep. v Superman. Yep. And that music, too, comes back in Batman v Superman, right when uh, Superman has to kill Doomsday. That same music, but it's it's kind of slowed down and made a little bit more majestic in Batman v Superman. That's the same theme. So we already know that Zod has threatened, you know, all of humanity and reiterated that, that he's going to kill them. I but never understood why these people personal. didn't just run away to begin with. So... <laughs> I wondered that too. To the right, I think there's like a kind of a half wall or a barrier to their right. I think is why sure, they but when they first it. land, like, why were they standing around watching? <laughs> oh, oh, for the bef yeah, up to this moment. And can't they like very... limbo underneath the <laughs> the heat vision? <laughs> <laughs> and what you no, know? I... What are the chances that by snapping his neck, he wouldn't cause his head to move and? I don't yeah, know. that is one thing. Like, I could appreciate I like the, the scene for what it is, 
but there's it could definitely be nitpicked. Yeah, like the the thing I like about it is they first of all I like how seriously they treated it like there was imminent death right in front of him so he had to make the decision right then. And Superman is obviously racked by having to have done that. You know, the music cuts out, it goes silent. He yells, he's in pain for having to have done that. Killed the last Kryptonian, killed the chance at Krypton, but also killed somebody who knew his dad, although it's the killer of his dad, but also for Superman to become a killer. I think he felt the pain. But Yeah, no, I don't know if yeah, Snyder said it or if I read it somewhere on li- else online, but the fact that he, he now knows what it's like to kill and makes him value life more and know, you know. Yeah, I think they could have maybe even made that more explicit in BVS. Like, they could have had him actually refer to that. Like, you know, I've killed before. I, I don't right. want to do it again or something. Right. But I do agree with you. Like, a small nitpick would be when he snaps the neck that, yeah, the eye beams are actually still going for a second even when he starts to turn the head. Right. So that would have been bad if Superman accidentally turned the beams into the people. <laughs> But so now that's a surveillance drone that Lex no doubt hacked into uh, one, one way to, you know, monitor the world. Yeah. And this line right here, how do we want know one day you want to act against America's interests? That's like sets up Batman v Superman perfectly. That's the right. whole premise of it. Yep. Yeah. This scene, I think, is. It's it, it's a capsule of the same issue that is dealt with in BVS, um, of them having to negotiate their relationship with each other, like the U.S. government and military and Superman, and how is Superman going to operate? Is he going to have oversight or not? Um, also, it's uh, similar to Suicide Squad, where they said, you know, what if Superman didn't share our values? Right. Then we would have been in trouble. So similar. So this line. So- Got the, I think he's kind of hot. It got a laugh in my theater when I watched it opening weekend. I didn't love the line, but I'm okay with it. I guess like if it was up to me, I'd probably take it out, but I don't mind it in there. <laughs> but we—that's our first hint at uh, the government, you know, monitoring Superman and maybe investigating other metahumans. Yeah, that's why oh, we have that surveillance footage in Batman v Superman. Yeah. And now as here, and we also saw in Suicide Squad how uh, there were dossiers on the the metahumans right. no doubt gotten from Defin- those surveillances. Yeah, that's definitely going to be a big thing for the military, right? Like they're going to get as much information on them as they can. Right. Um at the gravesite, Martha said, you know, that Jonathan one day wanted you to take up this responsibility and using your powers and kind of coming out standing proud and so martha is literally saying jonathan didn't want him to hide his powers forever jonathan wanted him to wait till the right time until he was ready to take on that responsibility i I don't know how people still miss that (laughs) people still think jonathan's like no you have to stay in the closet stay in the closet like no it's just about that it's too much to put on a little kid right even a teenager a teenager to be hey be superman you're 17 years old (laughs) And you're going to be taken and you're going to be tested and you're going to be abused and you're going to be feared and you're going to be worshipped and all that stuff is too much for a 17-year-old. It's interesting like that he's ending. riding a bicycle this, here. Yeah, I think that's cute. 
Uh, I, th I, th I like the clothing that they have for him here. He pulls out the glasses. He's like, oh, I remember. I got to put on my glasses. And this is also in Earth 1, uh, Volume 1, how uh, similar wardrobe. Yeah, the last couple pages. And then, like, the final page, I think, is him, like, in his Clark Kent with glasses on at the Daily Planet, right? Straczynski, good stuff. Actually, the last page is him flying away as Superman from the Daily Planet. <laughs> oh, okay. Was it, is, is it like the second to last page or right near the end? Isn't there like a big splash page of him standing as Clark Kent? It's a few like pages first before th where he's, he's actually talking to Lois and Jimmy. Yeah. Welcome to the planet. Nice line. Now, I like the music coming up. I like this. You know, it's showing this is how we have the origin of Superman and now he's in his Clark Kent at the Daily Planet. Maybe some people were expecting more of the movie to be like Daily Planet stuff and, you know, Clark Kent and Superman. But this movie was to get us there. You know, it was to see where he came from, what he has to deal with. And really, it's him making the choices to become Superman, right? Like, choosing to take the leap of faith for humanity, choosing to save humanity, side with humanity. Even though, like I pointed out, humanity has its flaws, and Clark is very aware of those flaws. But he sees enough hope that he chose to save humanity and to join humanity. Um, so to me, it's a just well-put-together movie with great action, great music on top of the kind of psychological exploration. It's definitely it's a like very a different story than, than we've seen. Uh, I think the fact that they didn't really touch on Clark Kent, I mean, it was it's a very different movie. It's more focused on the alien aspect. Um, so I, I did sort of miss, especially the first couple times I watched, I did miss having some Clark Kent scenes. But And I was really happy to see those scenes in Batman v Superman, especially in the extended cut. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, it, it's a new modern take on Superman. And it, and it is called Man of Steel. So it really mm -hmm. is focused on, you know, the Superman aspect. Yeah, and he was, I think through the movie, he was like forged, you know, in the fires like they do with steel. Right. And that's uh, so, that's a analogy that Man of Steel Answers brought up as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I liked the performances. I liked the take on it. Um, I Generally, I'm open to like alternative versions and stuff. Like I'm not a purist where certain characters have to be a certain way. Like when I read books, I'm okay if the movie changes it a little bit for you know a, a cinematic reason uh i that's kind of my style i don't mind different versions of things so maybe i was a little bit more pre predisposed to be okay with a different version but so and i may, can see people maybe, that like maybe that's why i didn't like it the first couple times because i am sort of a purist but i think this movie along with mo a movie like suicide squad i think if you watch it you know with an open mind and accepting it for what it is and, and and viewing it for what it is rather than what you want it to be you you come to appreciate it more and like it more yeah because i can see where people like you are coming from that you like the clark kent stuff and those dynamics and so you missed it because it wasn't really in this movie for like him day to day at right. the daily planet going on to do a story and then having to go save something but the fact that that's not in this doesn't make this bad for what it is. Like, so if you look at, if you just accept what it was trying to do and then see, did it execute that and did it do that well? 
I think it's a great movie. Exactly. Um, yeah, so it's kind of like, it's really just a question of, are you grading it based on what you wanted it to be, or are you grading it on what it was trying to do? Although I will say that in the context of Batman v Superman, I think Batman v Superman escalated this movie, especially in my book, because mm-hmm. there are those connections and it it's uh, makes it a bigger world. And the fact that the the writers, you know, were able to make those connections, I think that was very impressive because there were yeah. there were concepts brought into the first movie that played very importantly into the second movie and it was like a it, it seemed very seamless yeah i honestly think one of the reasons i love bvs so much is because i just think it's such a great follow-up to this movie um like when i saw this movie and i kind of came to realize that this was a movie about clark deciding you know it's about free will and it was about him making the choice to become Superman and to take his place in the world. And he's kind of happy to find a place because early on he's kind of roaming around. So this movie is him choosing humanity. And then Batman v Superman comes back and says, but is humanity going to choose Superman? (laughs) Like is humanity going to respond with that leap of faith to actually put their trust in Superman? And for a lot of the movie BVS, they aren't right. Like, People, Lex stirs things up so that people start to doubt him and fear him. And Bruce is, has his issues with him from the, you know, the start. And it's not till the end of BVS that we realize, okay, it took us one movie, Man of Steel, for Superman to choose inside with humanity and take that leap of faith that way. And then it took a whole movie of BVS for humanity to come around and realize like, oh, Superman had a good heart. He was trying to help. He was a good person. He was a good guy that was just trying to do the right thing. And we didn't really appreciate him until the end of the movie. But what's interesting is in BVS, you know, he's still making that choice. He's he's still coming to terms with accepting the world. It, it's all like a continuation of mm-hmm. in, in from this movie. And right down to the end where he's going up against Doomsday, you know, he's actively making the choice of accepting this world as his own. Yeah, great point. Like, it's not a once and for all choice. It's a choice that you make, and then you have to keep making every time you're going to right, exactly. do anything. Yeah, great point. Yeah. And and humanity makes it hard for him in BVS when humanity doesn't reciprocate for a while. Yeah. Uh, it makes it really hard for Superman to still do what he needs to do and save the day or, or side with humanity. But he always, even though Superman has to think about it and he sometimes isn't sure about it, he always does come through and do what he needs to do. He does the right thing to save humanity at the end of the day. Yep. So, oh man, good stuff. Um, yeah. So this was this was kind of us talking through it live. We actually are taking some notes on uh, certain perspectives or certain slices that we want to do a regular analytic episode on for Man of Steel. So I think we're going to do at least three, maybe like four or five Man of Steel episodes where we can analyze something from a certain perspective or take on a certain question about the movie. And we are hoping to get those to you like later this year or like around the winter. Um, Definitely well before Wonder Woman comes out. So we want to show some love to Man of Steel. It did kick off everything. And to me, in terms of setting up a universe, it did a really great job with that. And I think I just I just want to point out that by no means is this commentary like a, a definitive uh, you know commentary. We, there, I'm sure there's 
plenty that we didn't touch on, and we could be going over this movie dozens of times and and still not touch on everything. So. Oh yeah, yeah. Like in Batman v Superman, there are scenes where you know a two-minute scene we analyzed for fifty minutes. Here we, for a two-minute <laughs> scene, we only had two minutes. So there's exactly. lots of stuff that uh, Man of Steel answers has covered. Some of it, there's stuff that we want to go back and touch on. There's some stuff that we just aren't going to get to because, you know, with Zack Snyder, um, he I think Zack Snyder really tries to put layers and motifs and things through his movies. It's not just a straight ahead fun action movie i think he really is thinking about the psychology and he's thinking about the themes that he's exploring about humanity or about technology or about um the organic versus the artificial and that kind of um those themes i think that he explores in his movies yeah and i like so, how how it's based in the real and it's really you know it's making us look at these superheroes in a, in a realistic way yeah. All right. So that's Man of Steel. That's our take. Um, we would love to hear your comments as well. And yeah, like Alessandro said, a lot more to talk about. We've really only scratched the surface. So fun stuff. And we wanted to just do this to get a little bit of Man of Steel into our podcast feed. So hope you enjoyed it. And Alessandro, thanks for doing this. It was fun. Thank you. And uh, and thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, you know, I'm, I was really happy. I'm really happy that we got to do this. And I look forward to doing another one for Batman v Superman. Yeah, we will have to put that on our calendar and figure out when we can do it because that will be fun as well. There's definitely a different style to kind of reacting to things as they're happening live in front of you versus like sitting down with a scene and really kind of analyzing it like we do usually. So definitely. fun to do both. Yep. All right. Well, have a good night and I will, uh, I'll be in touch. And everybody else, thanks for listening. We really appreciate the support that you've given us for the podcast.